Good morning, everyone. This is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message. Coming to you from my studio beneath the sky, tucked away under the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us. It's Friday, January the 12th, 2024, and we're going to be talking with John Haller today. Can't wait to get his perspective on things. It's been a while since John's been on the program. Uh, I'll bring him on here in just a moment, but we're going to be discussing, will 2024 be 2022 Will 2024 turn out to be 2022.0? Lots on the horizon. We've had some guests on recently that have given us their perspective. Uh, we had Lee Brainerd on. We've had uh, Tom Hughes. We had Leo Homan. Uh, but uh, John uh, is just really got a unique perspective. Uh, he's not uh, one of those that likes to cry wolf, but I think these days all of us are keeping one eye on the sky to make sure it's not falling. And so, uh, We'll, uh, we'll talk about that in a moment, but a couple of quick announcements. It is Friday, so we've had a great week of podcasts. I encourage you to check out my interview with Tom Hughes and Brandon Holdhouse from Jerusalem as they walked around the streets of Jerusalem. That was posted Monday on Tuesday. Uh, I did the uh, Spiritual Wickedness in High Places with Lee Brainerd on uh, Wednesday, of course. Uh, we, we are sorry, that was Monday as well. Then on Tuesday, we had David Fiorazzo, the intensifying assault on the image of God. Wednesday, of course, was our world events update. And yesterday, I was privileged to be on Worldview Matters. And so we close out the week, save the best for last, I like to think. Uh, but we want to start with a couple of verses from Proverbs chapter 12. Today's the 12th. And so that's what I was reading. And uh, three different Proverbs kind of jumped off the screen at me just by way of encouragement. Number one, the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Proverbs 12, 7. Let's never forget that, even though we see the devil gaining a lot of footholds and grounds uh, in this cosmic battle, uh, the end of the book has already been written, and so we're confident in uh, the sovereignty of Almighty God. And then number two, the wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. And uh, John and I were talking off air about uh, how the elites uh, tend to say exactly the opposite of what they really mean. It's just uh, goes back to Satan's deception and how Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So certainly the wicked will be ensnared by the transgression of their lips. And then finally, never forget Proverbs 12, 21, no grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked shall be filled with evil. No matter what happens, this life is not our home. This earth is not our home. Our home in heaven is secure if you know the Lord Jesus, if you've placed your faith in him and him alone as the only one who can forgive sin and give the gift of eternal life. He died to take your place on the cross, rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and offers freely to all the gift of forgiveness and eternal life simply by trusting him. And if that's the case, then whatever sufferings and persecutions and trials we may face in this earthly life are nothing compared to the glory that we shall see one day. No grave trouble will overtake the righteous. Well, John, with that uh, background, welcome back to the program. Thanks for joining us today. Good to be with you again, JB. So we've been kind of talking a little bit. Uh, it's fun to pick people's brains and see kind of where what, what their uh, focus is on. But as we head into this uh, new year, you know, it's only the 11th, but already uh, I feel like it's, uh, it's you know, had some things happen that kind of make us sit back and go, uh-oh. Uh, what are you what are you watching most? Uh, and just kind of share your heart as you think about uh, where we are in the world scene. Well, I've always sort of tried to be, you know, the, the voice of reasonableness in the room. 
<laughs> and not to run around oh this is this is the end this is the you know getting all hyped up about everything and declaring it's the end when maybe it's not but i have to tell you uh the last couple of days i've sort of been sitting here watching what's going on and i have those um i have this feeling that we're, we're right on the edge of all hell breaking loose and that's on any number of issues there's uh, we, we see the political situation in the United States, which is just, um, I, it, it's insane. I see a weaponized legal system against conservatives, and, and we can argue about whether how they're going after former President Trump is good or bad, but it's the, it's the implications of what they're doing that really concern me. I'm watching the Middle East. We're seeing attacks on British and U.S. warships in the Red Sea, shutting down of shipping through the Suez Canal. And, and then, you know, we, we have a, a situation where our defense secretary goes missing for five days and nobody really knows about it. Yeah, in the midst of multiple wars. I mean... Right. Yeah, we're, we have carrier battle groups in hot zones around the world. China is is really China's really changing. I mean, Xi Jinping has purged most of his military leadership to just get a bunch of yes men in there. And I don't know that Xi Jinping is smart enough to handle everything that he does, but he certainly has an agenda. We see the thing going on continuing to deteriorate in Ukraine and thousands of people being maimed, injured, and killed on both sides of that war. Um, but and so this morning, so I read a lot of different newspapers and I, I do like, I think the British press does a better job than the U.S. press uh, of getting to the facts. But here's, this is from the Times of London this morning. And, and this sort of is like an epitome. So this is one of the things which I, I watch it, I see it, and I, I just scratch my head and I wonder, uh, how long, Lord, how long are you going to let this go on, Really? Because they're, I, this is not, I don't think these are conversations that have ever taken place before. So here's the headline. Trans officers should have gender papers to carry out strip search. And so what it says is the policing minister told their home affairs committee yesterday that codes of conduct which govern policing state that strip searches should be only conducted by someone of the same sex. But what do you do with a trans gender officer and so it's it's like why are we having these conversations there it's a global level insanity uh and i think you talked with david fiorazzo who's got a book about that attack on the image of god just out i was on his show i think this week and last week both and um i kind of lose track after a while but yeah. It's true. It's like we can't even tell what sex people are. I saw a statistic that, oh, I don't know if it was, I was just turned on, I think it was Dennis Prager yesterday as I was driving around. And the statistic was that 60% of young males are not in any kind of a relationship with a member of the opposite sex. Mm, wow. wow. And, and what does that, what does that say about where our society's going? Mm. And it, it's 
because there, it's it's sort of like China and India, where they have will soon have close to 200 million males in those two countries that have no prospect of a female marriage partner because of sex selection, abortion, and sex selection that's taken place. And China's one child policy, which they've tried to, they're trying to undo, but it's it's past the point of no return. Yeah. So and so I talk a lot about demographics because I think that that is an accelerating factor with a lot of things. So when you see China knows that in a generation, it may have half the people and they'll be much older if they're going to establish their hegemony that they want to establish, they're more likely to do it now yeah. than they are later. And this is true. I mean, India's in the same place, but Europe and the US are all declining demographically. And there was a report last year in the Tehran Times, an article, this is in the Tehran Times. And it said that Iran had had the fastest decline in female fertility of over like the last five or 10 years of any human, the fastest decline in the fertility rate of any country in human history. Mm-hmm. So the mullahs of Iran, they know this, they're smart guys. They're, they're evil and they're wicked and they worship a false God. So the question is, are they, are they going to act now before they lose their, what they perceive or whatever demographic advantage they may have? It's, that's just, that's just one factor that we go into. Yeah. So, well, let's, let's take some of these one at a time. I know you've got more, but I, I, you know, my head is spinning because you've touched on American politics, American military. You've talked on the, the attack on the image of God, like uh, you and David Virazzo talked about. But let's go back to uh, our political system. I think one of the things that makes this year so potentially unsettling is the fact that it's an election year following uh, what by all accounts, contrary to the mainstream news media, but looking at empirical evidence, was the most uh, rigged election in U.S. history. Uh, and they never did anything about it. You know, nothing's changed. I was reading Joel Skousen yesterday, and and he said, look, people have forgotten that the root problem that caused the chaos in 2020 was never fixed. We moved right on to the so-called insurrection, and now we're still, you know, using the same technique. So, uh, full disclosure, you know, I'm not a, a fan of Trump. Uh, I was speaking about him way back in 2016. Uh, I know you're not necessarily a MAGA guy yourself, but still, don't you think that what they're doing to Trump is decidedly un-American and wrong? Yeah, I mean, you know, so like they're they're taking your state, Colorado, took them off the ballot. Mm-hmm. And that's in the process that's a Supreme Court, I think, is uh, the briefs are due by February the 8th. And they'll probably issue a decision shortly thereafter because the elections are coming up uh, and he needs to be on the primary ballots. But this is insanity because yeah. I, I, I think any reading of the 14th Amendment, um, unless you're a aficionado of uh, the crazy people over at MSNBC, would require that there be a conviction of insurrection before you actually remove somebody from the ballot for an insurrection. It's not some election official sitting in their office that looks at skewed reports from the House Select Committee on J6. Yeah. And, and by the way, it, it, this is, so I'm a lawyer. This is right. egregious violation of due process. So when, I, when I'm when i involved in litigation, I'm pretty much, 
I guess semi-retired now. I doubt that I'll be taking on any more big litigation cases. But in litigation cases, you have to produce all of your electronically stored information. And if you don't do that, the presumption in federal court is that what you destroyed after you knew there was going to be a case, the presumption is that all of what you destroyed would be construed against you. It would be evidence against your position. Well, now we have the government who's prosecuting Trump for J6 violations, and the House Select Committee has destroyed, hidden, and sequestered evidence. And I don't understand. I mean, this is like, so this is one of the reasons why I think excuse me for using the language, all hell is going to break loose because this is unprecedented. And I, as a lawyer, I'm deeply disturbed at how they're weaponizing the legal system. So, you know, people were that represented Trump and the election challenges and everything, they were charged with crimes, you know, Cindy Powell, Rudy Giuliana, Jen Ellis, and all these people. And some of them have pled guilty just because they're being, they were being bankrupted by the legal fees. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I know what, listen, I've represented defendants in white collar cases. I know how expensive they are and the cost, the, the costs don't start when you go to trial, the costs are enormous before you get to trial when you may have millions of pages of documents, but now the evidence is not even, they're not producing the evidence to anybody. Yeah, no, it's 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 absurd. And, you know, the, the, the funny thing is these decisions like the one here in my home state of Camerado, uh, they're basically, rep, you know, acting like the ultimate nanny state, because if you don't want Trump on the ballot, don't vote for him. Every every citizen of America has the right to effectively take someone off the ballot by not voting for them. Of course, that presumes we have a legitimate election, which, as I've written about elsewhere, you know, we haven't had for decades. But just in principle, philosophically, it's unnecessary, but you're right. I mean, the the plain letter of the law, uh, which has been a problem with our activist judges, as you well know, for decades, uh, is not that if you think it looks like or sounds like insurrection. It's have you been convicted on record of insurrection, and uh, and and he hasn't. But here's what I think's going on. See if you think this rings a note of uh, accuracy. I think. Of course, the Luciferians control things. Rogue elements of our of our government are part of a larger conspiracy that I've documented in in my two Spirit of the Antichrist books. Uh, and but within America, more liberals or Democrats are kind of locked into that hidden agenda than are, there are Republicans. But there are Republicans. Make no bones about it. It's a it's not a right left issue. It's a it's bigger than that. But in general, there are more liberal. Democrats than there are liberal Republicans in general. Well, the liberals do not want to have to deal with Trump again. They realize that uh, if they thought he, you know, got had a huge populist following in 2020, they ain't seen nothing yet. This is a big problem for them. They're not going to plausibly be able to, you know, steal the election again. Um, I think, you know, the uh, uh, Kennedy, uh, Robert Kennedy, is going to help them in a sense of making it a little more plausible by stealing votes from both sides. But in any event, they they just don't want him on the ballot. They they don't want him to be a part of the mix, and so they are doing everything within their power. And because the liberals 
there there are more liberals well placed in positions of power throughout the system at the judicial levels and and in politics and so forth even down to local levels uh you know they've got a good chance of of making this happen despite the evidence but as you well know in court it's not always the evidence that matters it should be that's the way the system's set up but it's the one who interprets the evidence and the one who has the the, the final gavel so uh do you feel like that's kind of what's going on behind the scenes uh, well, I don't know that it's going on behind the yeah. scenes. It's like going on right in front of your face if you're looking at it. It's so so listen, there are times when President Trump, former President Trump, is quite um uh, his behavior is is rather odious, offensive. Uh, you know, I, I I flipped on one of his speeches the other day, and I'm like, it's a, it's an hour and forty six minutes long. I mean, it's like a John Howard prophecy update in length, and I'm not, <laughs> I don't know if I want to sit and listen to that for that long. Uh, and what they're doing is they're, it seems like they're stoking uh, disruption by going after him, so they're they're polarizing people further. And this certainly seems to be by design, and it's happening in many different cultures. And this has been, as Patrick Wood and others have pointed out, this has been a long march through the institutions. This has been going on for 150 years, that they've attacked the systems and that they brought in this Marxo-communism, fascism thing. And then, and then they accuse their opponents of being the fascist and the communist. Uh, and it's just it's just to create this incredible disruption in society. So the society is very divided. But we see this everywhere in the world now. We see, you know, look at uh, Israeli politics. Israeli politics are divided. They've had this uh, dispute over judicial reform, uh, which is kind of interesting because I and I have friends who get really, I think, upset with me, friends in Israel, because I I think I support the judicial reform that they were doing because the judiciary was out of control there. You know, the, the left wing had taken control and put in this reasonableness thing, which allows them to do anything that they want as long as they're in power. And then they came out and, you know, they passed the law and then eight, seven decision recently, they struck down the law right in the middle of a war which is incredibly divisive. And the reasonable standard has been used to kind of tie the hands of the IDF in a lot of situations that adopted the thing of proportionality. But JB, what, and I understand your theories and everything. And, and so Israel's in front of the International Court of Justice today mm -hmm. on a charge of genocide brought by South Africa, which is committing a genocide against farmers of a certain race in South Africa. The irony of that, <laughs> claiming that it's apartheid when it's not really apartheid. But then what I don't understand, and, and I, I talked to an, uh, somebody, I did an interview with somebody that lives in Israel today. Israel's allowed to appoint a judge at the International Court of Justice. Yeah. So who does Netanyahu appoint, but the judge who brought in this left-wing reasonableness standard anyway as the Israeli judge? And I'm like, I can't figure out what's, it doesn't make any sense to me. And so... I'm a lawyer, and so I always try to look at, you know, when we get evidence in a case, we look at all the evidence from both sides. So one side is that uh, Netanyahu is a political genius, and he's doing this because he knows that if the guy rules in his favor, 
favor, Israel's favor at the International Court of Justice, he can then go back politically and say, see, even left-wing progressives know that Israel's important and we need to be behind everything. And the other, the flip side of that is he's in on it. And uh, so I think the jury's out on that right now, but good grief. I, I don't understand it. I, well, I, I, you know, I, guy, but this one's sort of scratch, has me scratching my head. Well, you, uh, yeah, you, you're coming at it from a, a, a different perspective of, of background knowledge. But yeah, I've, I've said from the beginning, uh, in fact, uh, for years, I've talked about Netanyahu. But I tell you what, it's the third rail right now with conservative uh, prophecy, guys. You mentioned you, you criticize Netanyahu even remotely. Your inbox is filled with emails. But, but uh, you know, I, I agree. I, you know, unashamedly and, and confidently agree. I've got firsthand eyewitness you know, people that know him that have met with him. Uh, but I've got others that have met with him and know him and they say, no, no, he's not, you know, uh, in with the, the, uh, the, you know, the bad guys. So, uh, you know, but I, I, I honestly believe that he is, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, because right now at this moment, Israel is the victim of a horrific terrorist attack by Hamas and we need to get rid of Hamas. But I think we do need a more balanced analytical approach to the big picture when appropriate and that's uh, that's what i appreciate about you uh, so the so i mean maybe we can talk a little bit about israel or we could talk about the world economic forum or any number of about 80 other things so let's talk about israel since that came up because that's a subject that's near and dear to our hearts because we know that israel and bible prophecy is very important we talk about it a lot and i have to tell you that um i um Somebody, I saw a quote from somebody recently. I won't identify him because everybody will then criticize who maybe said it because they don't like him or anything like that. Uh, but Tom Hughes and I talked about this last week that prophecy will be fulfilled as written, not necessarily as it's being interpreted. So hmm. I've tried to encourage that we be a little bit humble about, uh, you know, putting a flag in. It's going to work out exactly this way because how many, how many, curveball uh, should we say god ordained cosmetic curveballs or knuckleballs that we have to be thrown before we say okay god's really in control of this unless what i mean we have general parameters but listen nobody called charlie vector back in 2020 right okay yeah. <laughs> even though by the way that came out i don't know if you ever talked to bill Keating about that the morning that trump released trump released his peace plan which I don't care what anybody says, it was to divide up the state of Israel. No doubt. Which I think is a bad thing. And and everybody, would, and I think somebody like, well, Trump wouldn't do that, or he knew they wouldn't accept it. It doesn't make any difference. It's what he and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, proposed. And um, that, and I, I've got maps. I use maps of it all the time. And it's clear what they were trying to do. In the that was re released in the morning in January of 2020, and it was in the afternoon that they had a meeting at the White House with Peter Navarro and Trump and everybody about this Charlie Vector 019er problem that was coming. <laughs> Same day. about COVID-19, for those of you who can't see the yeah. code language. <laughs> I try to talk in code. I'm used to yeah. talking in code because I do a lot of stuff on YouTube. But so far, that one seems to be making it past my... Yeah. Uh, well, we're not we're not on YouTube because they've canceled eleven of my videos and threatened to toss me out over the years. So we we just like to speak freely. I, I feel like since I'm in America, I ought to be able to speak freely. But yeah, right. the COVID thing. I don't know that it had anything to do with that, but it is interesting from a spiritual perspective that that's when 
the timing worked out. But I, I've documented in Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1, Chapter 9, it's over 50 pages uh, with citations that uh, the COVID uh, pandemic was pre-planned 22 years in advance. This was not something. They knew exactly when it was going to be right. right. That's why they put Trump in there, in my opinion, because they needed a Republican in office to get Christian churches to stop worshiping God. I mean, if, Hillary, if President Hillary Clinton had stood up and said, you can't go to church on Easter, there would have been civil war instantly. But Trump did it, and 90% of churches bowed down and obeyed you know yeah and that's just and and now uh you know I, I went into a local restaurant the other day to get a sandwich i hadn't been there for a couple of years and i walked in it was like taking a it was like going back in a time machine to the days of the lockdown in 2023 because you know the the whole station where you would get like ketchup for your french fries was shut down Really? And, Still, huh? And they had all the tables set up for, you know, social distancing and everything. And I thought, have you guys not been following this or who's in charge here? <laughs> it was like, like I said, it was like stepping back in a time machine. Wow. Uh, and it, well, it was troubling. And, and so I think that this is coming, but. Uh, yeah. Well, let's but talk that, about the wars before we get to. Uh, yeah. Before we get to the uh, Davos and, and World Economic Forum. You know, uh, one of the things that Jesus said as he was answering the disciples' questions, just a couple of days, by the way, before he was betrayed and arrested and crucified, uh, they wanted to know, look, wh when is all this going to happen? We're confused by the timetable, essentially, is what they were saying, because they thought he was going to march into Jerusalem, throw off the shackles of Rome and usher in the kingdom. And uh, so when he talked about the temple, not one stone would be left upon another. And uh, he said to the Jewish leaders, you will not see me again until you you know, cry, blessed as you come in the name of the Lord. All of that sort of got their attention. So they go, what, what, what will these things be? And so he answers that question with the famous Olivet Discourse. And the very first thing he says is, take heed that no one deceives you. Uh, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. But then the next thing is, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. So there's no question that the context into which the future Antichrist eventually enters is a context of global military chaos. We've got all the wars that Bill Salas talks about. We've got the Ezekiel 38 war. We've got uh, things happening now. So do you feel like that all of the posturing that's going on with uh, Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Hamas, China, Taiwan, North Korea, Iran, you name it, is that all setting the stage? Well, I, I really do. I mean, because you look at it, I mean, so and a lot of these things don't even really hit our radar. So like last week between North Korea and South Korea, they like fired 600 mortar shells and missiles at each other. Yeah. And it was like, so I think North Korea fired 200 and North Korea's or South Korea responded with two, 400 back. And then, you know, everybody's threatening nuclear war. You have Iran and nobody's talking right now about Iran. Are they, are they still moving towards a nuclear weapon? Yeah. Of course they are. Yep. But, but then our, our secretary of state is in, in um, Israel, and it comes out of a meeting with Netanyahu, and Netanyahu says that was a very uncomfortable meeting huh. because our government is trying to press Israel, saying you you can't go defend yourself. You just so they're withdrawing from North Gaza, and now the, there's Hamas guys being interviewed on video saying, yeah, we're moving back to North Gaza because the Israelis are withdrawing in large part. Yeah, and they still have the South. And if you think the terror base, which is one of the most complex terror bases in the world, if not, well, it's probably number two in Gaza, 
Number one would be Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. And that is on the verge of breaking loose, too. And then, for example, I have a very good friend. Uh, she lives in Ecuador. Known her for many years. And she wrote to me the other day and said, please pray for us. Because a drug leader, uh, one of the head of the big cartels, drug cartels in Ecuador, disappeared from prison. And now the cartels are on the warpath. They've gone in. They took over a TV station. And she, she lives in a rural area. And she said, I went to the city, had a nice dinner. Then I was, I was going to go shopping in the bank. And they're all closed. Mm. And now they're saying it may be there's a very strict curfew in place now for 60 days, at least in Ecuador. So you have Ecuador, South Korea, North Korea, you have Russia, Ukraine. Uh, there's you know rumblings of some things happening in the Balkans mm -hmm. uh, again. And then Sweden, of all people, is coming out and telling their people, well, you need to prepare for war. I saw that yesterday. Yeah, we've got a uh, source, uh, Randy, uh, you may have seen, he's on our program once a week for World Events Update on Wednesdays, and he's well-connected. And so usually, uh, almost always, in fact, he'll text me uh, things that are coming out uh, anywhere from an hour to two hours before they hit the main news circuit because somebody that he's connected with has has clued him in. So he, he sent us that. But going back to Netanyahu, why do you think uh, Israel is is going along with Biden's, you know, attempt to get them to back off. I mean, this I thought they were going to wipe <laughs> from the face of the earth as they should. Well, uh, part of it is um, when I talk about when you see me talk, I'm sure, and I talk about logistics. Hmm. Part of this is a logistical problem that Israel has. It's a logistical problem that the U.S. has. It's a logistical problem that the militaries in the West has, and it's a problem that Russia's developing as well, is people are running out of weapons stores. Mm. So Israel, under the Obama administration, they get about $3.2 billion, $3.4 billion a year from USA. But it's not like, okay, Israel, here's a pile of $3.4 billion. Go spend it exactly like you like. We only do that with Iran. Right, right. <laughs> and, and Hamas and Hezbollah, we, we yeah. give them money yeah. and say, you know, use it however you want. But Israel has restrictions, so they have to buy certain weapons. And as a result of that, they're not able to produce certain weapons within their own country. They have to get them from us. It's a very complicated memorandum of understanding. And so I think this is this is the problem right now is unless we're resupplying them, Israel's hands are effectively going to be tied at some point. So this is an ongoing problem. And I think that if this had happened six or seven years ago, it would have been different. In 2017, the head of the Israeli Air Force went to the Herzliya Security Conference, and he said, listen, if we get into a war with Hezbollah, you're going to see shock and awe like you've never seen. And in 70, 24 to 72 hours, we will do way more damage than we did in 37 days in 2006 during the second Lebanon war. But I don't know if they could do that now. But they, they've got 100,000 troops in the north. They're putting stores up there. But they have 100,000 people who've evacuated their homes in the north. And the cities and towns are emptied out up there. And Hezbollah is lobbing mortar shells in and destroy like one city, one village. Up there, over half the buildings have been completely flattened by Hezbollah. You don't even hear about this. And I don't see how this... I don't see how this happens without there being a war in the North at some point, because they, I uh, heard an interview on the IDSF briefing a couple of weeks ago 
with Sarat uh, Zahavi. She's the head of Alma Research, which looks at the situation in the North. Very excellent interview. And she said, listen, I live up here. We can't live like this. So I don't know if you've ever been to Kiryat Shimona. That's like 25,000 people. They have like Walmarts and stuff, you know, similar to Walmart stores with, you know, multiple gas. It's empty. Huh. All those people have left. Their businesses are shut down. And so you have probably 150 to 250,000 people. I hear different numbers in Israel that are internally displaced right now. Plus, you have 500,000 people in the, in the uh, Israeli Defense Forces. Oh. So you're talking about you're, about 15% of the country is in a different place than they were two months ago. Yeah. And I just don't see how that can continue. And you can't live with the threat from the North. But then what does, how do they deal with that threat in the North? And I think part of the reason for Gaza is to say, okay, Hezbollah, here, look at these pictures. This is Lebanon all the way to Beirut, if you continue. Yeah. But then our government says, well, they'll just withdraw and they'll promise to be nice. But Zarat, Zarat in her interview, she said every third home in southern Lebanon has a direct connection to Hezbollah. Well, how do you deal with that situation? And then the tunnel network may be more extensive than the one in Gaza. So I listen, I just have to tell you, I'm, I'm a practical guy. I know all the promises to Israel and all that stuff, but I also know that there's promises of trouble. And I just don't, I don't know on a human level how they deal with the situation. I'm yeah. not smart enough to figure that out. And maybe there nobody is. And maybe this is God sort of shaking them to bring them back. That, well, that could be. I mean, there's no question that, you know, Israel is the apple of God's eye. They are his chosen nation and they play a central role in the God's plan of the ages. There's a future for national Israel. And one of the, the marquee signs of the end of the times was when Israel became a nation again in 1948. But at the same time, anybody who studies Israelology has to know from the Bible that there are plenty of examples of rogue leaders, rogue kings, people that were not obeying God, that were not there in belief, that were not faithfully following Yahweh. And so to me, you know, it, it's not inconsistent to wholeheartedly and unequivocally support Israel as a nation and, and, and in Bible prophecy, and yet point out some of the inconsistencies and complexities of the situation. And yet, sadly, there are some people who, who can't create that nuance. But uh Let's well, we need to speak prophetically to it. Uh, that was my yeah. interview with Stan Goodenough this morning. We talked a lot about is, and and so, you know, there's all this different theories running around about what happened on 10-7. Why did they not respond quickly? How did that, how did it happen? And, you know, was somebody causing it to happen because they wanted political advantage or something like that? And I don't, I don't know the answer to that yet. Okay. Right. Certainly something was wrong, but I've said, that I think part of what's going on is a, a spiritual blindness that yeah. needs that God is dealing with. Uh, and this happened before you can read the prophets. You can, you know, the, I think the best example would be what was going on in Judah, the King, Southern kingdom of Judah leading up to the Babylonian captivity. I think that's a picture of what's going to happen, a, pro, a pattern of what's going to happen in the end times, including with the church and the world. So I see a lot of those things going on. And, and the question, I, I did a couple talks this summer at conferences, 
you know, that has God given us time markers for, they had time markers for the first coming of Messiah. They, they were specific enough that there were guys who came from the East, you know, to, to find out where's he that's born King of the Jews. Yeah. Cause they, they were looking cause they knew the general time frame. And I think there is a general time frame for the end. And we may be in that time frame now, you know, I'm not dogmatic about it. I'm not date setting or anything like that, but I do think that a lot of things are pointing towards the 2030 to 2032, 2034 time, time range. Yeah. And it, everybody says, well, it's going to calm down and everything will get better. But, you know, you, you have the economy that's on the verge of collapsing all over the world. I mean, it's, it's not here. And what happens is there going to be a reset, a great reset. There's a re great reset in the world economy and governments happen after there's been a great taking of assets, you know, and there's a good video out there. You, people should go look at called the great taking. I'm still working through uh, whether some of the things that are said in that video are actually how it, how it will play out, but it's, it's very sober. Yeah. So, and, and so we, we have all of these, all these different elements at, at stake. So, and everybody, you know, the world's looking at 2030, you have the cop 28, you got the climate change, you've got, um, you know, the world King Charles raising money for his, Tara Carter thing. I mean, the yeah. audacity of that guy. Yeah. The set oh, yeah, of the, no the Magna yeah. Carta. It's just, it's crazy. It's yeah. Insane. I talk about the Terra Carta in, uh, in my volume too, but yeah, we got the world government summit and, uh, in Dubai, we've got all kinds of, uh, things uh, coming up, but and Davos is next week. And, and then Davos is next week. Before we get to that, uh, just let me insert here. If you're just joining us, we're talking with John Haller. How can folks get a hold of you, by the way? What's your website? Uh, Fellowship Bible Chapel, fbchapel.com, and then Fellowship Bible Chapel on YouTube, Real FBC on Rumble. And I'm trying to get some audio podcasts set up, but I've been trying that for six or seven years and just haven't. We're, an all, we're a small church, all volunteer. So we... Um, it just takes us, we, we don't operate uh, very efficiently at some, at times, just because I, for what I do, I try to stay in my lane. Yeah. And I think I, I'm sort of an aggregator of what's going, somebody called me an aggregator the other day. And I thought, yeah, it's not a bad description of kind of looking at all the stuff that's going on. I review dozens, if not hundreds of newspapers, publications, intelligence reports and everything on a, a weekly basis and try to disseminate that down. And yeah. it, I'm just telling you, it's hard. You know, it is, it's hard to keep up at this point. No, it is. And by the way, I, you may have been called an aggregator. I'm usually called an agitator. So I'm not sure if there's any connection there, but. Uh, um, well, maybe an agitator. Agitator. There you go. <laughs> if, if Paul can engage in neologistic tendencies, then we can too. So uh, we can create words. So That's right. I, I just want to point out that as as we've said, and as you comment, commented, you know, you're not one who, like so many in our camp, is prone and I don't mean that negatively, there's not not a lot, but there are a few in our camp, we come across them, and we all have this tendency at times, who are prone to, you know, sort of the sky is falling, it's going to happen, you know, tomorrow, head for the hills, and that's not you. And so when you say, look, I'm, I'm aggregating all of this data, and you know what, it's, I've got this sense of foreboding like I've not had before, that, that, that's significant to me. I mean, it, this is yeah. a crazy time. So, and by the same token, too, though, my I have a pretty normal life 
it seems like. Yeah. You know, so like last week, I actually, because uh, I get 10 cents a gallon off with my app at one of the gas stations, I could have driven to a, they were having a little bit of a gas war 10 miles up the road from us on the interstate. I could have bought regular gas for $1.98. Whoa, below two dollars. Huh. I bought it. I bought it for two oh three. Wow. I went up there one day. I got it for two. Yeah, two oh three. And and you know, now it's two eighty nine a lot of places a week later, yeah. including up there. So it goes up and down, but it's but you know, so other than like we go to a deli and my wife and I will will split a Reuben sandwich because it's sixteen dollars. I know, isn't it unbelievable? And, yeah. and you go to you go to like Wendy's and you get like you know large drink and large fries and it's like fifteen dollars for a Wendy's ham double hamburger. It, it's it's really snuck up on us and of course the the portion sizes are smaller. But my wife uh, you know commented recently that we took the kids out to eat at a fast food place. And, you know, we didn't even really think about it because we're busy and we're just, you know, just enjoying the moment. But later we looked at the receipt. It was $70. And I can remember not too long ago when $70 was a very nice, expensive meal out. It was like the kind of thing you do every once in a blue moon. And this was right. we're basically a burger fry type thing. I'm going, what? Yeah. Yeah. We went to Sunday brunch someplace and with tip, it was $48. And we got, we drank water. Yeah. And that's just yeah, too. We didn't want to right? spend four, three, four bucks for a soft drink. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's crazy, and that's that's going to affect us. So I know we're kind of running out of time. So we probably ought to talk about Davos because yeah, yesterday, so uh, Davos released their 2024 global risk report. And of course, they have climate change in there. They've got to they've got to ride that horse as long as possible. But it was kind of interesting and ironic. We were talking about this before we started talking that the biggest risk in the world right now is misinformation and disinformation. Mm. And it's kind of ironic that the people who engage the most in misinformation and disinformation are coming out and telling us that the biggest problem in the world is misinformation and disinformation. And it's sort of like a, uh, a three, I, I feel like I'm back in the days when I used to go to New York city a lot, you know, you'd see the guys on the street with the three card Monty, and it was a scam. And so I feel like they're running a three-card Monty game on yeah. us, all the globalists and everything that like, okay, yeah, you need to be aware of misinformation and disinformation and just only trust the stuff we tell us because we're going to be truthful with you. And you know that that's not the case. Yeah, we need a ministry of truth. I mean, it's literally 1984 incarnate. I mean, I I, I don't say that lightly, but if you, if you know George Orwell and the predictions that he made, uh, you know, this is... Uh, or Eric Arthur Blair was his real name. You know that that's uh, that's what we're, we're where we're living right now. But so for those who may not know, and they should if they've been you know not living in a cave. Uh, of course, the World Economic Forum is at the tip of the spear of the globalist agenda right now. Klaus Schwab, you've all know Harari and others. They have multiple meetings throughout the year, regional meetings and summits and so forth. And and it's a veritable who's who of world leaders, government leaders, political leaders, business leaders. But their annual meeting, the biggie, so to speak is next week, January 15th through the 19th. Uh, what uh, What's going to come out of that? What is their focus? Well, they're, they're going to focus a lot on the misinformation, disinformation, climate change, but also how the the rapid growth of artificial intelligence plays into this. You know, they're, they're having the consumer electronics show in Vegas right now. 
And I think Joe Allen and Joe bought XYZ and he wrote a book called Dark Eon about the, the growth of artificial intelligence. Pretty good book. He was saying that uh, Consumer Electronics Show is sort of like the playground of the World Economic Forum, the, the toy show for the World Economic Forum and the elites of the world. And I saw some interviews with people there, JB, and the, the guys were saying, listen, we have, um, we know this is going to destroy humans in some fashion, but that's okay because we're making it better. This is part of evolution. Yeah. And I, I saw some interviews with these guys and they're probably, they were, they were males and they probably have no female companionship or anything like that. And by the way, the other statistic I saw is that saw is that like, there's this tremendous growth in guys whose only relationship is with an AI robot of some yes. kind, not a, a virtual robot. Yep. I talk about that in the book about this one guy who married one even. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the it's all out attack on the image of God and man and, you know, the transhumanist agenda to marginalize and destroy God's humanity, the one true humanity, and create an alternative humanity, which uh, is only going to be a, a shell of the real deal, even though they claim it's going to be better. They claim it's going to transcend humanity, but it's not. Yeah, so I, uh, and I don't know when the World Government Summit is coming up. It's, um, I'm just looking here. Um, oh, February 12th through the 14th in Dubai. Yeah. So you're, so over the next 34 days um, until this thing is over, you're, you're going to get the next five weeks, I think will be pretty important. And we need to be, I'm going to be watching a lot of those sessions. Yeah. And, you know, this, this is where a lot of things are introduced. You know, remember there was a famous uh, Pippa Malgram, I think two years ago at the World Government Summit, talking about there's going to be central bank digital currencies. Now, I don't know how fast those are going to be rolled out. But I know, for example, Turkey just entered the second phase of their CBDC tryout, trial phase. Well, that's kind of a significant country in Bible prophecy as well. I mean, Chuck sure. Mitchell always told me, I had a conversation with him once at a, at a dinner table and it was just me and Chuck and Bill Koenig sitting there. And I said, so what, what do I work, look for? Are you excited? He says, just watch Turkey. And when you see Turkey start to flip anti-Israel pro-Muslim in a big way, that that's when you really ought to pay attention. Well, I've been watching that now for over 10 years because in the stuff that's happening is just absolutely Stunning. Erdogan's son did a speech on January 1st to like hundreds of thousands of people. And first speech I saw him gave, and he talked about, listen, we took over Hagia Sophia, the largest church in Christendom that was built back in, you know, 1500 years ago or more. And we're turning that back into a mosque. And that's just a symbol of what we're going to do. Yeah, holy wisdom. Yeah, I mean, I quote Erdogan as, 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 you know, he's a long time part of the Luciferian agenda. He's not a friend of democracy. And he has that famous quote uh, back when he was mayor of Istanbul, in which he said, democracy is like a train. It'll suit you well. It'll get you where you're going, but then you need to get off. And uh, I, I tell you, I don't understand why uh, Turkey is still part of NATO. I mean, with the Russia-Ukraine war, they've been nothing but an antagonist to NATO throughout that whole deal. Mm, right. Uh, that's, and that's something that's hard to understand. And we still have, I, I believe, unless they've been removed, I hope they've been removed, but we had nuclear weapons stuck in 
um, in Turkey at a base for yeah. a long time. And so yeah. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think Turkey is very significant. Uh, there's a lot going on in that particular space from a Bible prophecy standpoint. I, I want so, and I don't know if I if I mentioned this or not, but if if you want to see, you know, when we go to these conferences, somebody, everybody, somebody's going to do a talk on Ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine, and they're going to put up their map with all the arrows coming in. In twenty seventeen, when Trump announces moving the embassy to Jerusalem, they immediately have this big OIC Organization of Islamic Countries meeting in Istanbul condemning Israel and the U.S. and, you know, we've got to fight for Al-Quds and, you know, they always use the pictures of the Dome of the Rock. And Erdogan's, one of his main mouthpiece newspapers, Yanis Effect, put up a map that's probably the best Ezekiel 38-39 map I've ever seen with all the tanks and missiles and everything converging on Israel. I mean, that you can find that on the on the web out there or send me an email through the church and I'll, I'll send you a copy of it. But it's... Uh, so, I mean, it's just, it's when the secular non-Christian world starts talking in things that look like they're jumping off the pages of scripture that I think we really need to wake up and pay attention. And I just see that happening on a pretty epic scale right now. Yeah, I do too. Well, John, um, uh, you know, you talked about Missler saying, watch Turkey. Uh, as we close here, if, if I'm going to put you on the spot, if you had to pick one area that really we should keep our eye on if, if we had to narrow it to one, what, what would you say it is as we watch things unfold? Um, I think the one watchword that I would leave is watch the narratives okay. that come about. So like, you know, I'll, I'll turn on MSNBC in the morning just because it's like, it's cheaper than coffee, you know, cause it gives me that shot of adrenaline. And so Nancy <laughs> Pelosi was on there spewing her narrative about J six this morning. And I, I, it really, usually I can go for four, five minutes. This was like a 22nd before I flipped the channel. Uh, but there are all these narratives that are out there that are built that are propagated through the media and that type of thing. And it it's on what we might consider to be conservative medias and that type of thing. So I just think that we got to watch the narratives and that those watch the narratives comes in some way like, well, all this technology and the control that people are taking through the technology, that's all that's, that'll be good for you. It'll work out. It's, we're moving towards the singularity. If I could just take a minute, I was in Israel a year ago, December for the Christian media summit. And while I was there, one of the guys, a business guy got up, Jonathan Medvad, and I think you can find the video of it on the Israeli government or Israeli prime minister website. And, and he said, this chat GPT, this stuff is, this is going to be fantastic. It was just released last week. I had not heard of it, sure. but this was like less than this, like a few days later, it's already a million downloads, fastest downloaded program app ever in history. Now it's in the hundreds of millions. It's everywhere. I get a dozen emails I think in messages every day about some chat GPT usage or artificial intelligence usage. That's what they're telling us about. You know, there's a lot more going on beneath the surface. So there's a narrative there that will be good. And so what he said was very interesting. He said, we will make the lame walk. That's exactly what he said. When we, the way we develop this artificial intelligence, 
And so then I went back and re-looked at the rollout of Neuralink. And the Neuralink, they they went in the they went in this order: the lame will walk, the blind will see, and the deaf will hear. And immediately that brought to mind the passage in John where John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus and saying, are you the one or should we look for another? Yeah. And Jesus says, you go back and you tell John the lame walk, the blind see, and the deaf hear. And the gospel is preached on the, the good news is preached to them. Wow. What I'm telling you is that there's this messianic quality to a lot of this artificial intelligence so i think you need to watch that but then also watch the narratives about <clears throat> i don't know how to say it, israel and the jewish people yeah. because i'm seeing an unleashing of jew hatred from a lot of quarters where i never expected it so people who might have been our allies on the charlie vector 019 or thing they're spewing Jew hatred like I've never seen. And um, some of them have been doing it for a while, but now it is, it's really off the charts. And my Twitter feed every day now, and I don't know why it is. I don't know if they're, they're trying to train me <laughs> or, or make me mad, but it is a sewer, of, of a, ver- a sewer with a very high flow rate of Jew hatred coming through my phone every morning. I don't know how else to describe it. And I'm concerned about that. And I know that they're, look, I know they're bad Jews. Uh, You know, last I checked, there are bad Gentiles, uh, non-Jews in the (laughs) world. I can name one or two. Would you like a list? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and the list seems to be growing. So I I think that, uh, boy, people really need to get into good fellowship with solid believers Mm -hmm. elsewise, because it's going to be, it's going to be difficult to navigate all of this on our own. That's what I think. I love so that walk, your walk. show and, and some of the things I'm doing will help people navigate that a little bit. No, absolutely. Because we we're rooted in the word of God. That's our blueprint. That's our, uh, our roadmap to navigate this stuff. Uh, but I love that. Watch the narrative. I think that's, that's so true. I've been talking about that for years. I did a program mm-hmm. last year on how to interpret the news we're not saying believe the narrative, obviously, but watch the narrative. It will tell you a lot about kind of where things can be headed. And it's complex. It's subtle. It's almost like playing chess. You know, you can't see your opponent's move and think, oh, because he's attacking my rook, that must be his plan. You've got to look three or four moves down the down the ahead. Right. And, and I think that's what these narratives do. They begin to hint at you know, in advance where they're headed. So watch the narrative. Well, well John, thanks so much. Uh, again, and Jamie, F- just let me just add one thing. We talked about this before. We didn't really mention that we're in a six twelve war. Oh yes. Thank you. Yeah. Ephesians six twelve, And yeah. so it's interesting. God is very nice to us, very gracious to us. So he tells us through the apostle Paul, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. So when you see, Persia, Iran doing what they do. That's the Prince of Persia, you know, and there are other principalities in power. And the blessing is that right after 612 in Ephesians 612, we have the solution, armor up, 
Yeah, I love that. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to go back to our where we started, and it is a spiritual battle, the 612 war. Never forget that, and never forget what we started with Proverbs 12, the wicked are overthrown and no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. So uh, it's very important in such a time as this uh, to to keep your finger on the pulse, to, to, you know, to watch what's happening. Proverbs also tells us the wise person sees trouble coming and prepares for it. So we certainly want to do that, but never from a standpoint of fear or panic or desperation. We hold our heads high. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Uh, so folks, stay informed. Watch the narrative. Uh, check out John's uh, webpage, FB, uh, what is FB it? FBchapel.com. FBchapel.com. He's got, he's on YouTube, Twitter, all of those other other things, Facebook. Uh, check that out. And John, thanks so much. You're always Thank you, a blessing. We'll uh, connect again and get some updates uh, and, uh, you know, assuming the world is still ticking. Amen. That's right. I look forward to it. And assuming we still are able to get things out or we don't have to maybe look for us on the dark web that uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Someone will have to teach me how to do the dark web. I, I can barely do the, the light web. I don't know. But uh, well, there was a guy at, well, I shouldn't say there was a guy at one of our conferences this summer who was talking to me about that. So okay, I so, haven't followed up with him, but there's people working on it. Well, yeah, and I'm about to hit the road. I know you are too. I'm sure our yeah. paths will cross at some of these conferences, but uh, always appreciate your insight and your time and uh, God bless you and God bless you everyone yeah. who's listening. We'll uh, talk again soon.